All right, we are in 2 Peter. We're in chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 5 through, we'll see how far we get. But most likely, uh, most likely we're only going to be covering, uh, we'll, be covering we'll be covering 6 and 7. Uh, sorry, into the end of 6. But I'm going to read verses 5 through 8 again. For this reason, Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance and godliness. Now that's probably about as far as we'll get tonight, but I'm going to keep reading. And it says, and to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Now, um, last week we looked at the fact that God adds to our, our goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control. Uh, so what we're going to look at tonight is perseverance and godliness. So let's take a look at perseverance uh, with the, where we are now. The, the Greek word translated perseverance uh, is also in other some English of your English translations translated patience. All right. The Greek word itself is the Greek word hupomone, which means literally an abiding under. Now, that probably doesn't help much, but if I put it to you in this way, it might help it a little bit. Uh, it's an abiding under pressure, an abiding under some kind of a weight, abiding under some circumstance. In other words, abiding under is living patiently in a circumstance that may never be remedied in this life. See, a lot of times when we think about patience... We think about being able to just get through this time and then, oh, good, it's over. Now I can move on. And I had patience. The biblical word translated perseverance or patience actually has a longer tenure than that, folks. It's an abiding under a situation or under a weight or a circumstance that may never in this life ever get better. We didn't sign up for that one, did we? But you're going to find some excitement and some encouragement in what we're going to look at tonight. Because if you really look at what the scripture teaches, you're going to see that God not only is going to give you the grace. He's actually going to make that time of you in a situation that may never get better. He's going to actually make you become stronger and you're going to see the benefit of it. So let's take a look at it. All right. Again, abiding under is more than simply enduring. Abiding under is more than just simply enduring. It is seeing the value of the trial, the good or God's good that's being produced. Go with me to James chapter one and we'll look at verses two through four. James chapter one, verses two through four. Look closely at how James words this. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you, you face trials of many kinds. Isn't that interesting? Most of us, when we face trials, we roll our eyes, don't we? We're like, oh, here we go again. He actually says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops, there's that word, perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, again, I want to kind of lay this foundation here. This word we're looking at here, adding to your faith perseverance or patience, is the Greek word hupomone, which means an abiding under. In other words, the ability to keep right on going in the abiding relationship with the Lord, even though things are hard and may not improve. Now, we're not hearing a lot of preaching about this kind of a thing anywhere today because everybody today, as you're going to see later on in our study, is very interested in the quick fix theology, the magic formula, seven steps to a perfect life and these types of things. 
But the Bible teaches this word a lot. And it is actually the ability to not only endure, but it's an ability by God's grace to actually see this is good. This is good that this is going on. And as you see here, James says, consider it pure joy when you do when you go through these things, because you know that the testing of your faith does develop perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Um, patience knows that maturity is being developed in the midst of the trial. You see, true developed patience runs the opposite of the theology today, which teaches a quick, quick fix spiritual formula, like I said. And what's the opposite of patience? Impatience. The opposite of patience is impatience. Now, I don't want to take too much time on this because most of us hopefully understand the danger of impatience. What do we tend to do when we're impatient? Make mistakes or we don't check with God and we make bad choices, don't we? Uh, again, we don't need to go into it, but you know Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16 is when Abraham and Sarah came and tried to help God speed up this process of their child being born, and they slept with Hagar. Uh, it's something we're dealing with to this day. There's a danger in being impatient. All right. Also, um, there's nothing wrong with asking God to remove a trial, folks. There's nothing wrong. I'm, when we talk about hoopamone, when we talk about perseverance, when we talk about abiding under, I'm not saying to you that it is wrong to ask God to remove a trial. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll see where Paul begged three times for God to remove a trial. But you're going to see him respond when God says no. You're going to see him respond with the attitude that we're looking at tonight. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verses 7 through 10. He had just finished talking about somebody he knew who had been able to see heaven. Of course, he was talking about himself. In verse 7, he then gives away that it's him. He said, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. Did you see that? He didn't say I accidentally stepped into a thorn bush. It was given to me. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect or complete in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's perseverance, folks. That's, that's the abiding under. It is, Lord, I've asked three times. I pleaded, and God says, in this instance, I'm not going to remove it. But you're going to have to trust me that my reasons are good. And we're going to get to that in just a second as well. And Paul's attitude then was that I'm going to see the good that's going to come out of this and I'm going to embrace it. I've asked God. He said no. Or it appears he said no. I'm going forward. And I am going to consider it pure joy because he's going to be producing something in me and through me. And I'm going to delight in the stuff because God's got a reason for it. I may not understand. I may not always like it. 
I mean, let's be honest. He said it was a messenger of Satan to what? To torment him. It wasn't a light burden. Yet at the same time, this is the picture right here of perseverance. It's not just enduring it and going, oh, I made it through. It's actually becoming stronger in the midst of it, even though it doesn't go away. All right. If God says no, though, remember, if you're his child through Jesus Christ, everything that comes to you from him is for your best. He's already fully poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ. Jesus has taken the full payment for your sin. God is not going to punish you anymore. Even when we make mistakes and we still sin after salvation. Because Jesus took the full payment payment for sin. God's not going to punish you for things you do wrong. Now he disciplines us and he shapes us and he molds us for his purposes. But everything. And you've got to get this in your head because Satan's going to try to convince you otherwise. Circumstances are going to sure look like otherwise. But everything. If you are a born again child of God through Jesus Christ. Everything. Including the bad that comes into your life has been given to you by God for your best. Go to Romans chapter 8. We can quote it, but I want you to read it. Look at verse 28. Now, I'm going to be kind of forward with you a little bit right now. And I want you to understand, hopefully, after all these years of you having me teach you on Tuesday nights, you know I love you. But I need to shoot straight with you here because this is a verse that we, there's a tendency with the verses that we can all quote to not believe them. Listen to what it says. It says, for we know that that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I read it again. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. We don't know it. Oh, we can quote the verse. We know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But if we knew it, we wouldn't respond the way we do when trouble comes. What do we tend to do when trouble comes? Woe is me. Wine. Why is this happening? Where is God? Oh, we know that all things work. No, you don't. Because if you knew that all things work together for the good, you would be able to say, I don't like this. I don't understand. I've begged God to take it away, but this is for my best. I just want to just challenge you and encourage you with the fact and say, that's not my much encouragement. It is. Trust me. Listen to the word of God. Everything is for your best. Yes, I saw your hand, Allison. It's awesome and wonderful. If you look at the NAS, it's God causes mm-hmm. all things to work for the good. Yeah. So now, now, people will see that and say, well, God's doing this too. God does not do everything, He allows some, He does definitely send some others. Uh, and you're going to see that become pretty clear because the next verse, look at the next verse. It says, uh, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, look closely at what it's saying here. For those that God knew were going to be his, he also predestined those people, planned ahead of time, for those people to be what? Conformed in the image of Jesus Christ. Now, hang on with me. Go to Galatians chapter 5. And look at verse 22. Now again, another passage that many of us could quote. 
But look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, But the fruit or the evidence of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. What's the next word? Patience. All right, if patience is the evidence of God's Spirit being within us, and God has predetermined to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, and it is His desire to produce the evidence of His Spirit within us, in us. If you put that all together, folks, like Allison just brought out, God is going to orchestrate your life to produce perseverance and this patience, to produce this hupomone, this abiding under. God, His desire is that you would be able to abide under. If you look at Jesus, the Bible says the Bible, the Bible says that we remember our study from Hebrews that God caused him to suffer. He learned obedience through what he suffered. But Jesus didn't say, oh, a little bit longer and I'll be off. Oh, good. No, he embraced and endured the cross. He went straight to the cross because that was the, the plan for his life. And there was no way around it. And that's what he embraced. Did his flesh want to do it? No. Did he pray in the garden? This isn't what I want, but what you want? Yes. But he kept right on going. And we get the impression that he was a man of peace and a man of joy. Why? Because he understood that my father has a plan and it's for the best. And he kept going. So if God desires to produce perseverance or patience in our lives and through us, and he's also the one who has the power to orchestrate our circumstances, what does that actually tell us, folks? Let's be honest. In this life, you will have trouble. In this life, you will have trouble. <laughs> Don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Each day's going to have trouble, is what he said. Go ahead, Duke. I see you about to speak. We extend the problem. We extend the problem. What, first thing we do when we start having a problem is we, we reach for the uh, weapons of spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. And we, we give Satan too much credit and say it's from him, and we start fighting him. And we, Instead we, of saying, this is from God, he's trying to teach me something. Very good point. Did you hear what Duke said? Remember, this is very important because Christians, again, can Satan do anything to you without your father's permission? So when you are under a trial, when you are under temptation even, did it come straight from Satan? Or did Satan have to go to your father's desk, ask for permission? The father said yes, but he also set the parameters of what Satan could do. It didn't come straight. This Satan's out to get me. No, 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 no. This came from your father first. That's something we got to grasp. I know it's hard to grasp. Well, right. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. I, well, let me let me give you a couple examples from Scripture. Let, let me let me give you a couple examples from Scripture. First of all, in uh, Matthew chapter four, the Bible says the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted and tested. All right. We see in Job chapter 1 that when the angels appeared before God and Satan came too because he's a created being, God says to, says to Satan, what you been up to? Now again, for those of you who have heard me teach on this before, did God not know what Satan was up to? Yeah. Of course. I love the fact that God was jerking Satan's leash. That's what he was doing. He's on a leash. He's got some authority, but it's, it's a limited authority. And God jerked his chain a little bit and said, what you been up to? You know why? Satan can't say to the Father, none of your business. 
And so he had to answer. He said, I've been going to and fro throughout the earth. Now, Peter shows us that he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So when he's going to and fro throughout the earth, he's looking for somebody to cause trouble with. Who is the one who said, have you considered my servant Job? God did. Who pointed out Job? God did. And Satan says, well, yeah, I have seen him. But to be honest with you, the only reason he's the way he is is because you won't let me touch him. God says, I'll tell you what, here are the parameters. You cannot touch him, but you can do anything else. You just can't touch him. Of course, Satan, when he's given the leash or the, the, the length of the leash, kills all of his family and his possessions, leaves his wife. Chapter 2, when it all, we, we would say, good, Job passed the test, somebody else's turn. God, again, the angels appeared before God. God says, Satan, what you been up to? You know what I've been up to. I've been looking for someone to devour. Have you noticed Job? Well, yeah, the only reason Job responded the way he did was because you wouldn't let me touch him. God says, I'll tell you what, you can touch him now. You just can't kill him. And we have to admit, God orchestrated. Now, sometimes it's because we make wrong choices and we go run with Satan. And God allows us to reap the benefits or the consequences, if you will, of our bad choices. But ultimately, God's in control. And when he says yes, or he allows the enemy, or he even points us out to the enemy, he has a reason. And if Jesus was led into the wilderness for that purpose of going through that trial, God sometimes will do the same with us. And we have to just say, I don't like it. I don't understand it. But my father can do nothing wrong. Go with me real quick to Acts chapter 9. I'm glad you brought this up, Jim, because I think this is something that a lot of people are wrestling with. Go to, go to Acts chapter 9. I'm glad you're willing to say you too. Good. Because God already knows anyway. Look at Acts chapter 9. After Saul gets saved and he meets Jesus on the road, and of course Jesus knocks him blind, he then goes and God tells this guy Ananias, I'm sending this guy Saul, he's going to come on you, I want you to lay hands on him and heal him of his blindness. I love verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. In other words, Lord, do you know who that is? I love that. But look at what God says. The Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I have a life planned for Paul. And it is a life of trouble. It's a life of pain and suffering. I have that design, but he's going to bring glory to me through it. Now, again, go with me to Acts chapter 21. By the way, these, this isn't from the notes. We'll get back to the notes in a second. But I think this is important that we, we look at this. Actually, Acts chapter 20, look at verse 22. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22, And now, Paul says, Compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Look what he says. The Holy Spirit's told me. I, I'm compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And not only that, 
The Holy Spirit's told me everywhere when I go, it's going to be hardships, fate, trials, whatever. Now, in chapter 21, a prophet, look at that uh, verse 10 of chapter 21. A prophet now named Agabus, after been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, coming over to us. He took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Of course, when the people heard this, they said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. But look at verse 14, he says. I'm sorry, verse 13. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And he wouldn't be, when we wouldn't be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Did you, did you see what happened? You might have missed this. Paul says, compelled by the Spirit, I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. The Spirit's warned me that prison hardships face me. And then Agabus comes and says, I got a word from the Lord. Give me your belt, Paul. Ties his own hands and says, the Holy Spirit says, the owner of this belt, this is what's going to happen to him. Paul says, that's my confirmation. Because that's the same thing the Spirit's already told me. I'm supposed to go. And guys, why are you trying to break my heart? I am ready to embrace this. If this is the life God has for me, if this is the life God has preordained for me, if this is the life here that God has orchestrated for me, I will abide under it and I will embrace it because I want His power to be made manifest and I will live the life God has for me. Folks, that's the word we're looking at here when Peter says, add to your faith, perseverance. It's not hanging on until it's over. It's hanging on through it. It may not be over till you get to heaven. And if that's God's plan, I'm okay. Do you see how much different this is than patience? We think patience is waiting for the red light to finally turn green. Let's be honest. Isn't that what we think patience is? It's been three months and my boss hasn't given me a raise. Folks, that's not what the Bible talks about here. When the Bible talks about perseverance, it is an abiding under that says, I'm going to keep going even if it doesn't change. That doesn't mean we don't ask Him. That doesn't mean we don't beg. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to tell Him how we feel. But ultimately, at some point, perseverance will finish its work and you will become mature and God will be able to bring glory to Himself through you. Go ahead, Chris. I think it's tough for us because as parents, we would not want to think that we would put our children in harm's way or, or have adversity come upon them um, to teach them something. But the difference is, is that we don't know how the outcome will be. Right. Where God does. Exactly. He's already seen it from the end. end of so he can say, you know what, I'll put you in that car accident because if it happens today, Right. Or he's got you in exactly the position he needs you to be for his purposes to minister however he needs Exactly. See, this, the, the, you're right. And see, the trick is, is for us trying to figure out why God would do it. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, Oh, the depth of the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who's ever known the mind of God? Who's ever been his counselor? Who's ever given to God that God should repay him? For from Him and to Him and through Him are all things. To Him be the glory. Go ahead. But any of us can, can watch a football game and an armchair quarterback and say, well, you know, if I had been there, I would have called this play and that play. <laughs> and if we were omnipotent and could foresee every possible scenario, then we would pick the best path, right? Right. That's what God does. And He knows things we don't know. 
Let me, let me give you, and I'll get right to you, Ron. Uh, let me give you a quick example of a small picture of what I'm talking about. The Bible says that Paul was chosen by God to be the messenger of the gospel to the Gentiles, right? Peter was sent to the Jews. Now, I have to be honest with you. When I've been the armchair quarterback, I've had a problem with that. Because I'm thinking, man, what, did God really miss an opportunity there? Because if we were to send anybody to the Jews, we would have picked Paul. I mean, he's the Jew of the Jews, the Pharisee of Pharisees, taught by Gamaliel. I mean, if there was anybody that knew the Jewish Pharisaical way who could be go to those people and preach the gospel, it would have been Paul. But now, a little bit further down the road, I can't tell you, I got God figured out, so don't hear that at all. But I can see a little bit of wisdom, a lot of wisdom in God choosing Paul. Here's why. You know what the message of the gospel is? You're saved by grace alone through faith and no works at all. And if that had been preached by a Gentile, there'd be two different churches. To be the Jewish church and the Gentile church. Because remember, the problem they had was the Jewish Christians still thought they had to follow the law. Still thought they had to be circumcised. And they kept trying to infiltrate the Gentile churches and saying, yeah, it's belief in Jesus and he died for your sins and all, but you still need to be circumcised. You still got to follow the law. Watch out for those people out there. They're still out there today. There are people out there today that will still try to put Christians back under the law. But thank God, the Jew of Jews... The Pharisee of Pharisees is preaching to the Gentiles salvation by grace alone. And you know what? You know who would be the best for preaching to the Jews who rejected Jesus Christ and who denied him as the Messiah? The same one who said, I don't know him. The same one who could go to them and say, look, yes, you didn't know who he was. Yes, you had him put to death on the cross. Yes, you handed him over to the Romans. But you know what? I did the same thing, and he loves me. And he's made me a leader in the church, and there's grace for you too. Maybe if we're willing to put down our I want to be God cards, which we all got, we have to just say, in these instances where I don't know why God has not removed it, my God knows what he's doing, and I'm going to stop seeing patience as pretty soon it'll go away, and I'm going to see perseverance as if this is the life he has for me, he will give me the grace to abide under it, and I will see the joy in this, and I'm going to come out stronger. You were starting to say something? Yeah, just a question. Mm -hmm. if, if I or someone I love or know develops cancer, goes through the chemotherapy, all the pain, suffering, death, likely. Mm -hmm. What should my attitude be? If this is the road that God has, he's got a plan. I don't understand it, but I trust him. Remember Job? Even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. But if you read Job, there were some days that he said, I wish I'd never been born. There were some days that in his flesh he said, it's actually one of the most amazing word pictures. I wish there were never any knees to receive me. You ladies who have given birth in the stirrups, you know what we're talking about, right? I wish there were never any knees to receive me. I wish I had never been born. There are days that he didn't feel the greatest about it, but ultimately he came to that place of saying, even if he kills me, I'm going to trust him because he knows what he's doing. The Bible says that Jesus in the garden not only prayed, not my will, but yours. 
He actually was in such turmoil over it that blood started pouring from his pores. Blood vessels in his head were exploding. That's some, that's some intense prayer, folks. But then he laid it down. The problem is, and I talked about this today to the guys at Men in Motion a little bit. We Christians have done damage in those times because we think we're supposed to explain God. And I say to you in love, when someone's died and no one really knows why, and most 110% of the time we really don't know why, shut your mouth. Stop trying to make them feel better by explaining God. You one, can't explain God. Two, you're not God. And saying to him or that person, God needed another angel. First of all, doesn't help. Second of all, it's horrible theology. Because the Bible says we're not going to be angels. We're going to become like the angels where they don't give in, they're given in marriage. But we're going to rule angels. They, you don't become an angel. He didn't need another angel. If he wanted another angel, he could create another angel. He didn't need to take your wife or your husband because he needed another angel. If Sister Sue was a gardener, don't say God needed someone to tend his garden. You ever notice we do those things? We think that if we can explain God, that will help. Folks, I can't explain God, neither can you. But this much I can tell you about God, everything he does is perfect. And I don't understand everything he does, but I'm going to keep trusting. And in those situations, Hoopamon says, I'm not going anywhere. In the midst of this, I'll just say, God knows what he's doing. And I trust him. Let's be honest. Jesus had his disciples say when he said, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. You're wrong. I won't let that happen. But he kept right on going. You got to be the same way. Now, is there anything wrong with you saying in your prayer closet? God, today is kind of a bad day. And if you change your mind on this, I'm good. If you're waiting on my vote, let's do it. There's, there's Jesus, there's nothing wrong with that. But Hoopamon says, when you come out of that prayer closet, I'm going to be all right. And if it never changes, he's just as good as he ever was. All right. God has predestined to conform us into Jesus' likeness. And if he put Jesus through that stuff, he's going to put us through that stuff. Go to Romans chapter five, uh, 15. Romans chapter 15, look at verses 4 through 6. Now, I'm jumping in the middle of a context here, but there's something here that I just want to jump, something that Paul says that I just want to pull out real quick. Um, I know it's bad to do what I'm about to do, but I'm not going to teach on this passage. I'm just going to pull something out that's in here. In Romans 15, verses 4 through 6, Paul says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of your uh, translations say, may the God of all what? In verse, in verse uh, patience. You see it? You see it? May the God of all patience, or the God who gives endurance, the God who gives produces perseverance. Folks, let me tell you, if you're hearing this message tonight and you're saying, oh, i got to do a better job, you don't get it. You haven't heard the message. Who produces the perseverance? 
God alone. And we're going to get to, then how do we add it if we don't do it? But I don't want you to hear me say, you need to do a better job of having a stiff upper lip. Don't hear that. I'm not saying that. I don't want you to walk out of here and say, Jim says I need to just buck up. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I don't want you to think I need to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I need to do a better job. Anything that initiates with you is not what I have said. What I have said is that God wants to produce in us this type of perseverance that we become stronger even though whatever we're under doesn't change. You see the difference? It's not just enduring. It is we're getting stronger even though whatever we're under doesn't get go away. That's what we're talking about. So let's just jump to it. Well, actually, before we go there, I just got to pull out two more things here. The Bible says love is patient, right? We know that in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. The Bible also says God is love. Aren't you glad God's patient? Aren't you glad that God still abides with us? Under us, if in a sense, you know, think of all that I put him through and all you put him through over the years. But he just keeps right on going because of his love and because of his patience. Uh, but here's the question. How do we add patience? Well, again, isn't this something God produces in us through the trials? Yes. But we choose whether or not we'll stay on the operating table. That's the answer. You choose whether or not you're going to stay on the operating table. You must abide under the pressure, the weight, or the circumstance. In that time when he says no or hasn't said yes yet to your request for this, whatever it is to go away, you then go closer to him and say, and I trust you. And you receive the peace that passes understanding. But you are in the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You're under the scalpel, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. As you remember from a previous lesson when we were in 1 Peter, you are in the furnace of what? Affliction. Some try are tried for silver. Some fires for gold. You're in the furnace of affliction, folks. It's a part of this life. A lot of us don't realize this. We've been taught bad theology bad preaching over the years that has just said we can overcome and we can have dominion and you can just say to this it can be gone and there's scripture that shows that's not the case does God give us victory sometimes yes does God miraculously provide yes but every time no any theology that doesn't let God say no is bad theology God you can ask him and he may say yes but today, while I was talking with this one guy, God showed me something I'd never seen before. You know how there's people out there that'll say that if you have enough faith, God can, will do the miracle. And then, well, he was in this one city and because of their unbelief, he could do no miracles. And it was just because they didn't believe and that's why he was impotent. God's never impotent, all right, first of all. But then it hit me. When Jesus lays, raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11, was there anybody there believing that he could do it? Not a one. So he's able to do a miracle whether or not they got faith or not. So that passage that says, but because of their unbelief, he could not do any miracles, must not mean what we've been trying to make it mean. Because God is not limited if they don't believe. Because there was a place where they were all saying, he's been there four days. Um, He's past the point where we think his spirits hovered around his body. He's starting to stink. There wasn't a person there believing he could do it, but he did it anyway. Therefore, we have to understand that God's God and we're not. 
Does he have the power? Yes. Will he sometimes remove it? Yes. But most of the time, if you look at Scripture faithfully, you realize most of the time God says, my grace is sufficient. And I want to make myself known through you going through this, not getting out of it. And then we have that story in John chapter 9 where Jesus is walking along and there's a man who'd been blind since birth. And his disciples now have a problem because the Pharisees taught that if you're rich and healthy and wealthy, that means God's blessing you. If you're sick or poor, God's punishing you because you sinned. And this guy was born blind. So they're like, "Uh oh, this teaching and now got a problem. Uh, Jesus, who sinned? His parents or him that he was born blind? In other words, did he sin in the womb? Because he came out blind. So either he sinned in the womb or his parents sinned, and that's why he was born blind. By the way, before I answer this, I'll go to the next, next part. Keep in mind, the scripture said he's been this way now for 38 years. All right? Remember what Jesus' answer was? He said, neither. In other words, it wasn't because of his parents or because of him that he was born blind. Jesus said he was born blind so that God would get the glory. 38 years later. Did you catch that, folks? God intentionally caused this man to be born blind so that 38 years later he would receive the glory when he healed him. That's going to blow up a lot of bad teaching that we've had over the years. Chris. So you're saying that part of our problem is our definition of good. Absolutely. Yeah. I would agree. Let me just put... There was a family in Chicago who the husband got cancer. And uh, it was an ordeal and a half. And uh, he was my mechanic. And uh, he, through the chemo process, he'd uh, take the treatment and then seriously throw up all day for the next day. Had a day off where he felt pretty good and then he'd take the treatment, throw up all day for the next day. But he kept going to work and just went through it. And it was just an incredible three-year journey. And when the three years were over, I went and sat in their living room and I asked him this question. I said, Walter, you've been sitting here telling me about all that God has done through this ordeal of the cancer. And he said, it's been unbelievable. Our relationship as a husband and wife is stronger than it's ever been. My relationship with the Lord is stronger than it's ever been. I said, if you got to go back three years prior to where you are now and you got to choose no cancer, but you miss out on all that God did through these three years or cancer and experience everything you went through again. Because, it, folks, it was not an easy ordeal. Physically, unbelievable hard. Said, you got two choices. You get the cancer, but you get all that God has done. You go through the whole thing again, but you get what God has done. Or you get no cancer, and you miss out on all that God's done. What would you choose? He and his wife looked at each other, and they both said at the same time, give us the cancer. Because what God has done through this 
is far greater than anything we could have ever had by not going through what we went through. Bring the cancer again. That is Hoopamon, folks. That's why he was willing, because he knew that that was God's plan, and that's where he it was best. And folks, only those of you that have been through it, Ray and I know what we're talking about, because she and I have had this conversation. When her husband died, she started to experience her relationship and the depth of the love of God in that time greater than she ever has. And she's been a Christian for a long, long time. Look how old she is. All right? <laughs> But if you're struggling with this, my wife's throwing things at me. If you're struggling with this, you need to go talk to somebody that's been through it. And they will tell you what God does in those times can never be experienced any other way. But it's greater than you'll ever experience any other way. Know what did Paul said? I want to know Christ, Philippians 3.10. And then what did he say next? The fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Yes, go ahead, Ron. So that means that if you suffer, but you're glad, then you do things right. Um, if, if, if you, you suffer and things go to You you miss out you no 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 you miss out on what is available to you through the suffering. If God sends me a trial. And I choose, because of who he is, to embrace it and say, I've asked him, and he said no. If I choose to embrace it and say, okay, God, I trust you, he will do something in that experience that is far more than I could ever explain. I could also choose to grumble, complain, mope, whine, and miss out on what God is freely flowing. See, we have this picture of God was withholding until you ask or until you... No, no, no. You don't understand. He is always pouring grace in our direction. He's pursuing us. We choose to receive it or not. So it's not a, I didn't do the right thing and therefore he didn't give it. He's giving it all the time. You either receive it or you don't. And so in the trial, receive it. Go ahead, March. There is something you have to do, though. Participate with God when you're going to care about that. You've got to stand against fear. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and you're talking about Philippians where it talks about a make your request known to God. What? With thanksgiving. You're right. And is, is that a one time thing and then it's all gone? It's every day and it's throughout the day. It's going to come in waves, folks. Let me encourage you with something. Paul sounds like he was Superman. Go with me real quick to Acts chapter 27. We may have to save godliness for next time we get together, and that's okay. Honestly, that's why I love doing it the way we do it, because if this is where God is, I don't want to say, well, I have my notes to go through. Uh, I want to be where God is. But, so go with me to Acts 27. Acts 27. Acts 27. And uh, look at verse 20. Now remember, Luke is the one recording all this. It says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, this is the middle of the storm, 
When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Who's we? Everybody. Who else is on the boat? Sailors. Paul. Paul also at one point gave up hope of being saved. Then an angel come, came and visited Paul and said, no, hang on, you're going to be all right. The ship's going to be lost, but everybody on the boat's going to be all right. You're going to go to Rome. And that's why he later on was able to shake the snake off into the fire because the word had been given him from God that he was going to make it to Rome. But there was a point where he actually thought, this is it. It comes and goes. But how do you add, add to your faith perseverance or patience? Hoopamone, the abiding under. You don't get off the operating table. And I love how Marge put it. You fight off fear when it comes. You worship God and you acknowledge who he is. And you have to keep saying, Daddy, you still there? And he will show up. He will meet you. Has anybody ever thought about Noah and the rainbow? You, it is a promise for all of us. The Bible says that from, from then on, whenever you see a rainbow, it's a reminder of God's promise. He'll never destroy the whole earth again with a flood. But you know what? As much as we can take a benefit of the rainbow, that was for Noah. Here's why. Up until that point, it had never rained. Ever. And he had been alive for at least 120 years. All right, it had never ever rained. He'd been alive longer than that. The first time clouds came and rain started to fall, what happened? The whole earth was flooded. How many of you have been in a car accident? Seriously, show hands. Been in a car accident? The next time you got behind the wheel and even came to that same intersection, what happened? Wave of fear hit you, did it not? Because you thought, uh oh, here we go again. God knew. Old Noah here. The next time, because I'm going to now water the earth this way. The next time he sees a rain cloud, he's going to freak out. And so God gave him what he needed. Let me give you one more example. Go to Acts chapter 15. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 15. Look at verse 1. It says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And I love God's word to Abram. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, Abram's not having a good day. And so even though God shows up and says, I'm your shield, I'm your very great reward, Abram responds with, oh yeah? Abram says, oh sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. In other words, back in chapter 12, you said I was going to be a mighty nation. And me and Sarah have been doing what we're supposed to do, and nothing's happened for a long time. And it looks like my servant, Eliezer of Damascus, is going to have to be my heir. Because I'm getting close to death, and there's no baby. And God says in verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir. But a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. 
He also said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? Isn't that interesting? God has just said, you're going to look at the stars, count them if you can. You're going to have that many offspring. And Abraham believed him. And God gave him righteousness because of his faith. But then God says, let me tell you something else that's going to happen, Abraham. Look at this land. I'm going to give it to you and your descendants. And Abraham says, how can I know? Isn't that interesting? Boy, I love that. Because you know what, folks? I may look like super Christian to you, because that's how I try to pretend to be. But at the same time, this helps me. Because I got good days and I got bad days. And I got good hours and bad hours. And there are days I'm full of faith. And there are other days my wife has to preach to me. And my kids even sometimes. And then I send her to the room so I don't have to hear it anymore. <laughs> Look at what God does in response. I don't want you to miss what happens here. And we'll close with this. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him. He cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he didn't cut in half. Then the birds of the prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. Let me explain what happens. He takes these animals, the, the cow, the goat, and, and so on, and he cuts them in half, and he makes them opposite each other. In other words, half of the dead body of the cow's here, half of the dead body's over here. Half of the dead animals here, and so on. And he makes like a path between the dead animals. The birds he didn't cut in half, just killed them and put them on each side. So he makes like a gauntlet, if you will, between the dead animals. All right? Now, to kind of help you out with this, back in this day, there weren't signed contracts like we have nowadays. If, if Tom, you and I make a deal, we'll sign a contract. And it says everything. If I don't do what I'll do, this is going to happen, whatever. Back in that day, if you and I made a covenant or a deal, we would hold a ceremony like this where we would cut animals in half and we'd make a path. And we would, once they were killed, laying there, we would symbolically walk between the pieces. I would do this. And I was symbolically saying, same thing happened to me if I don't keep my end of the bargain. See what happened to these animals? Same thing happened to me if I don't keep my end of the bargain. You then would walk between the pieces. Symbolically saying, same thing happened to me if I don't keep my end of the bargain. Okay? Keep in mind that now and look at what happens next. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Did you catch that? God walked between the pieces. Abraham didn't. God symbolically said to Abraham in a way that Abraham would understand, same thing happened to me if I don't keep my end of the bargain, Abraham. Now, you got to keep in mind, did God have to do that? Does God have to say, Scout's honor? No, God's God, and His word is law. His word is truth. If He says it, it's going to happen. But He did something for Abram. 
that Abram would understand. And God humbled himself to come down and give a special touch to him at a time when he needed a touch from God. I'll close tonight by saying this to you. If you are willing to add to your faith perseverance, God will show up. And in that time, he will do something in a way that only you can understand. And he'll give you that touch. I said that was our close, but I got one more thing. Years ago, when I was youth pastor at First Baptist Indy Atlantic, there was a, uh, a young man, some of you know Dan, Dan Julik. And he and I were best of buds. I was youth pastor and he was in the youth group. And Dan had been through some struggles because right prior to when I came, he had an older brother who had committed suicide. And Dan was at that real fragile stage. And he and I became tight. We used to play a game every day. We used to play a game every day where we would make up a new word. But they had to be tricky words. And we would try to use that word in conversation with people. And every time you were able to throw that word in, you got a point. Well, one day, the word we chose was persimmon. And to be honest with you, not an easy word to throw into conversation. But it became persimmon. But now, to be honest with you, it became so much fun that that became our permanent word. From then on, the word was persimmon. Now, years later, I've left, gotten married, gone off to seminary. I'm now on staff at a church full time. I've already graduated seminary. And one Sunday, I'm as an associate pastor at a church in New Orleans, having one of those times where I wonder if God even knows where I am. Now, again, I was a staff member and I was having one of those days. And I was at the early service and at this church, that sanctuary sat 1500, but the sound booth was up in this little loft up in the back of the room and the sound guy didn't show up and the senior pastor did what he normally did. He said, Johnson, you're running sound today. So I don't know how to run sound. I just know how to slide the slider and I hope it doesn't make the noise. If it makes the noise, I slide it back down. But it was a good thing because now I'm up in this little balcony all by myself and I'm praying this prayer. God, I need a touch today. I don't even know. I don't feel like you even know I'm here. And I kept looking through that whole service for that touch from God. It never came. Second service. Oh, sorry. Sunday school. I teach my Sunday school class in between the two services. Looking. I'm begging God. And then nothing happens. And I assume, well, maybe it's going to happen during second service. So second service. I mean, that's the one with the choir. So, I mean, that was the good one. And so that, that was the one I knew God was going to move, you know. And nothing happened. Went home and had lunch. And that afternoon I was teaching Experiencing God. And I thought maybe it's going to happen while I'm teaching Experiencing God. And nothing and at this point, I'm starting to get very, very frustrated and I'm starting to get a little bit angry because I've been begging God. I just need you to say hello. Let me know you know I'm here. Say something, God. Nothing. Finished teaching my class. It's now time to head to the evening service. And on the way, this man, and I can be honest with you, he was a kook. Everybody knew he was a kook. He's just a kook. Every church has got him. Some, some have two or three. This one had a kook. And this man walks up to me and he goes, here, these are for you. And he handed me these two things. And I didn't know what they were, but they're huge. And he, I go, what are these? He goes, these are persimmons. And I'm like, what am I going to do with these? He goes, I don't know. And he walked off. Now, you don't understand. I don't know anything about persimmons. I've never had a persimmon. I was like, wow. He put them on my desk. 
No? No, no at that point, at that point, uh, nothing, persimmon, it meant nothing to me. Set it on my desk. Go to this evening service. I figured this is the time God's going to do it. You know, God's dramatic. He waits till the last service. Nothing. I go home and my wife will tell you, she remembers the night. I was down. I was a little bit angry. We go to bed. It's too late now, God. I begged you all day. Nothing's happened. And we're asleep. And the phone rings. And it's Dan Julek. And he's calling from Palm Beach Atlantic University. And he found my number in New Orleans and he said, Jim, I needed to call and talk to somebody. But I'm having one of those days where I don't even know if God even knows I'm here. And he said, help me. And I said, Dan, I've had the same kind of day. And let me tell you, all of a sudden the light clicked on. Said this kook of a man walked up to me today and you know what he gave me? He goes, what? I get He gave me two persimmons. And Dan goes, that was for us. I said, that was for us. One for you and one for me. God knows exactly where we are. And I went to sleep all better because of a persimmon sitting on my desk. God knows. He knows you. You've got kids and they're all different and you relate to them, each of them different. God knows. Embrace what you're going through. That's okay to ask him to take it away, but if he says no, he'll say, okay, here we go. And you're good. Let's do this. And you watch God walk between the pieces for you in a way that only you would understand. And then next time we get together, we'll try to wrestle with God with us. Father, thank you again for this chance to study. Thank you for the way that you speak to us. I thank you for the way that you detour us. And actually, in our minds, it's a detour, but in your mind, it's where you intended all along. Father, there are those detours in our lives that we think aren't what we had in mind and isn't what we had planned. May we see them the way in which we've seen tonight's lesson. May we see them as your original design. As we saw you say about Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. He is my chosen instrument to bring me glory to the Gentiles and their kings. And I've got a plan for his life, but it's going to involve suffering. Father, forgive us for making fun of the health and wealth people, but at the same time, believing it a little bit ourselves. And Lord, may those of us who have the need of this, which is all of us, be willing to embrace the trials and look for you and your hand and your good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.